Okay, what is up everyone? My name is Adnan Shafi. Welcome back to Timbuk Tuesday. I am so so excited to be talking about this topic today. We're going to be discussing the five pillars of diaspora wars. So yes, I do realize that there are two main groups in the diaspora. We're going to be mainly talking about descendants of slavery. So that's mainly people who are residing in the US and also the Caribbean as well as the UK. But we're also going to be dealing with certain Africans from countries that aren't necessarily the origin of enslaved people but let's say they've moved there after independence and let's say for example Kenyan moves to the US and now they're like a second generation uh, American citizen something like that so that's basically what we're going to be discussing i really hope you guys enjoy this one there's going to be a lot that's discussed and we're going to really dig deep into what these five pillars of the diaspora wars are so thank you so much for joining in and i'll see you in the podcast so as we begin this podcast i'd like to take you back 400 years ago to the times of slavery so we have thousands of people not originally but over time thousands upon thousands of people being traded on the shores of west africa being taken against their will across the atlantic ocean to serve white masters and to essentially be tortured for the rest of your life and there's barely any hope in sight sounds like a very bleak reality but that's the way a lot of it was taught to us in schools you know at the end of the day you know there was just white people who came and they raided the west african shores and they came and kidnapped africans but the story is a bit more complex than that and it's going to bring me to my first pillar of the diaspora wars some people the way they interpret this is totally wrong but this is exactly why it's a pillar of a diaspora and war that i've seen before or at least a reason for some people to resort to full on coonery like Candace Owens actually used this point as well so this pillar is your ancestors sold their own black brothers and sisters in slavery kinship will activate it only takes a little bit of white brainwash to activate the cool chip in the average negro or basically the the fallacy of africans sold africans into slavery and that puts the diaspora in a very interesting position because you'll be a west african with certain ancestors and you're still on the continent and someone else has now been cut off from their lineage and now people think that okay you know because your ancestors decided to sell mine now that basically means that we have no reason to unite at all whatsoever and i have no loyalty to west africans even now they're just people from a different part of the world and now we have our own history but i think that there's a lot that's problematic with the the framing of this question of did black people sell their own people in slavery in the first place the first issue is the idea of anachronism or for those who don't know it's basically when you apply a modern day concept and its meaning and you take it back in history and you apply the same meaning um as the modern meaning back in that time so we already know that this identity um of blackness didn't really fully exist until slavery and it did not exist on the african continent from what we actually know i mean in terms of blackness i mean hierarchy etc or black unity all of these different things came as a result of colonialism and slavery 
and that's a whole topic for another day we've done a full podcast on this i highly recommend that you guys listen to the pan-africanism podcast and the podcast on black identity and african identity as well all the links will be in my bio as usual i need to stress something though that there's no shared concept of african identity or black identity so when people say oh you know your ancestors sold their brothers and sisters into slavery that isn't necessarily true because you have people from opposite tribes or from rivaling tribes that would go to war and they would take prisoners and essentially these people were just they were prisoners they view them as criminals people who are trying to encroach on the sovereignty of their kingdoms so they had no loyalty to these people and I don't think we'd expect the same thing as for example in World War 1 and World War 2 we don't talk about how whites killed whites and how whites and uh, basically um destroyed the cities of other white people or the other kingdoms I mean we don't we don't really make these arguments which is why I find it very particularly interesting that this argument is being applied in a black context and we definitely know that this actually comes from this white supremacist ideal that it has to be black people causing their own problems and this is why i definitely think that we need to reject this question in all ways shapes and forms because it's a way to actually divide us for no no reason it makes absolutely no sense to me and i think we need to start reviewing why we actually started asking this question in the first place so i don't think there's necessarily an issue I mean by by modern day standards you could say yes and technically black people did sell black people in slavery but the 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 entire phrasing of that question is totally wrong and the thing is when it comes to the whole diaspora thing some people actually take this to be fully true and they use that question as one of the premises in their argument and it ends up just leading into a pointless diaspora war that I just don't think is worth it okay let's go to pillar number 2 guys cuz i feel like it's just one of those things that sometimes it happens with a lot of native groups not just africans but when you have a native group accusing the diasporan community of not being interested in their roots i definitely disagree with this conception and i feel bad that it's actually being spread around sometimes as something that's true which i totally disagree with and i think it's definitely an unfounded claim to think that oh you know african americans for example are not interested in their roots i mean you have to question yourself and sort of ask why are so many of them doing dna tests to find out where they're from we are as native africans i'd argue privileged in some senses a lot of us are we have the means to find out about our roots and our history depending which siblings or not siblings uh but family members rather um we speak to about these things and possibly we can talk to a grandmother or a grandfather or a great uncle i mean a lot of this stuff is basically within arms reach for many communities and i think that we need to actually recognize that privilege and also understand this curiosity of some african americans and not just say that all of them are not interested in their roots even the year of return was a ultimate success and there was around i think a 1 billion dollars that was actually injected into ghana's economy and that's just ghana and there's a lot of people coming from the US and the UK so definitely we're starting to see people taking interest in the african continent and i'd say even although yes a lot of it actually came this interest came from black panther i'd say a lot of it came from black panther even predating black panther and predating um a lot of this other uh technological stuff that we actually have today this this people who had interest in their roots and this goes back all the way to 
the civil rights movement and even predating the civil rights movement, like the Pan-African Congress of 1900 was actually organized by a man from Trinidad and Tobago named Henry Sylvester Williams. And I mean, you'd ask why would that person be interested in their roots if it was true that they didn't have any interest in their roots? Why did they start this Pan-African Congress? And obviously, this is one of the main roots of the, the African Union that we know today. I mean, it's obviously not one that actually caused the African Union to be created, but this is one of the key roots. I mean, the idea of Pan-Africanism started to actually flourish around those times and more towards actually the 1960s. Someone like Marcus Garvey as well, championing this return of people back to Africa. And he said something very particular in one of his speeches. And I think I want you guys just to listen to this very, very brief idea that he's going to give us in his speech. Would the Belgians have control of the Belgian Congo, which they cannot use, they have not the resources to develop now the intelligence. The French have more territory than they can develop. There are certain parts of Africa in which they cannot live at all. So it is for you to come together and give us a United States of Africa. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. He mentioned the idea of a United States of Africa, and that sounds kind of crazy as we think about it today, but it sounds also very similar to what some people believe Pan-Africanism is. And it's very important to note that if you extrapolate from his speech, he's basically mentioning about unity of roots and all this different stuff. And I'd say that Africa was a key part of Marcus Garvey's visions. And I think we can't just discount that and just dismiss it as, oh, you know, African-Americans don't care about their roots. It's always been there. Apologies, I did want to mention Jamaica. I know Marcus Garvey's from Jamaica, but yeah, I wanted to mention him and also a lot of Caribbeans and African-Americans, people from the UK in general. We cannot dismiss these efforts. There's a large history surrounding it. Same thing for Malcolm X spoke about the idea of roots and that you can't hate the root and not hate the tree. And I want you guys to listen to this excerpt from one of his speeches on the topic. And hating the African, we ended up even hating ourselves without even realizing it. Because you can't hate the roots of a tree and not hate the tree. You can't hate your origin and not end up hating yourself. You can't hate Africa and not hate yourself. And you show me one of these people over here who have been thoroughly brainwashed, who has a negative attitude toward Africa, and I'll show you one that has a negative attitude toward himself. You can't have a, you can't have a negative attitude toward yourself, a positive attitude toward yourself, and a negative attitude toward Africa at the same time. So what you have essentially is people, not just from the US, but the UK, the Caribbean islands, taking a keen interest in their roots and this idea of being able to connect with the motherland. And I think as Africans, we really need to start looking into that and we need to be, we sort of these doors to open to their history and we can be able to answer questions. And I'm gonna get this, I'll get into this towards the end of the podcast about what us as Africans that are native on the continent can do to make this process easier. Pillar number three. This one's a very deep one. <laughs> and I think that we've experienced a lot of this during I think the last three or four months, it's, in quotes, you do not speak on African or African-American issues. And I think this was the, the cause of the most recent Twitter war. I don't know. I think it happened like a month and a half ago, something like that. But the idea that Africans don't care about African-American issues and African-American issues don't care about African issues. And I think this is probably one of the, the ones that doesn't really make too much sense to me. 
and um, we can definitely look at that in more depth. And in depth, we shall go. If we look into history, first of all, just to sort of debunk this claim, I'm going to give two people as examples. Obviously, we have Reverend Martin Luther King Jr., and he actually was invited by Kwame Nkrumah to attend the independence ceremonies in Ghana. And you have these marvelous photos, I think some of the most powerful in African history being taken, of MLK with Kwame Nkrumah. And the kings did have um, a private dinner with Kwame Nkrumah, and they talked about nonviolence, they talked about independence, etc. And I think that what they discovered that was, for me, the most powerful thing was parallels between the civil rights movement and the independence movements on the continent of Africa. And much later on, you have someone by the name of Obi Ekbona, who actually founded the British Black Panthers, and he's a native Nigerian man who actually moved to the UK. So I think we need to, I mean, we really need to step back and like look at during the times of colonialism and during the times of these civil rights issues, when we're dealing with those forms of oppression, I mean, we, we had our backs and I don't know where this came from. I really don't know where this idea of, oh, you don't speak on our issues came from. And I think it's just both sides blaming each other for, for nothing. And I think this actually actualized itself um, most noticeably during the NSARS period and during Black Lives Matter. And the thing is, I can tell you guys, I mean, I know that certain Americans, uh, African-Americans and certain people in the UK and certain people in the Caribbean, they were speaking on these matters of NSARS and a lot of people were speaking about it. And the same thing for NSARS. I saw a lot of people in the UK and there was a whole protest in the UK uh, in different places. And a lot of people were really rallying for this. And I think that there's so, so much that we can be able to do together and i think we just need to look harder i mean and if not i mean if you're if you're someone that hasn't seen a video don't go around throwing these accusations right or you end up looking like um one of these other people right and obviously full respect to her but i just didn't really take um i didn't really take this video that she posted too lightly where she said and i quote stop relying on america to do everything for you when there's other countries around to help and this was in relation to all the african issues and all that and she was talking about how she's emotionally fatigued she can't really help out on these issues like i think you know videos like that sort of just spur up certain emotions where people think they they enforce these stereotypes or oh, look at these entitled african americans or they're so insensitive they don't care about african issues etc and i think we need to be more careful with the way we actually um, use our language when we're referring to all of these different things in relation to our issues. And I think we just need to use this oppression, whether it's by oppressive African governments or whether it's by the establishment in the US and the idea of Black Lives Matter, etc. We all just need to come and unite based on these fronts and we need to really just make progress based on these fronts as well. Pillar number four. This one has to be, oh wow. This one has to really, really, really be the one that I think causes most of the diaspora wars. Uh, these, the funny thing about this, and I'm going to say this and I mean this, is that the colonizers really played their cards right with this one. Because they got us paying attention to all of the stereotypes of Africa as a continent and Africans that are living outside of the continent. All of these negative portrayals in the media, that's what we're paying attention to. That's where these stereotypes come from. For example, African-Americans, mainly black people, even in the UK, you know, um, you know, they're ungrateful. 
generally lazy or gangsters, roadmen, etc. I mean, we get we get these crazy ideas of people and it's all from the media. And I, what what really messes me up is that both sides actually complain, oh, the media misrepresents our stories. Then why, I mean, we're cousins, basically. I'm going to call us historical cousins. Why are we listening to the media or why are we falling prey to these media portrayals when we're cousins and we literally know that these aren't true? <laughs> why do we believe... Uh, the establishment over our cousins. That's my my main question. And I think this is a more general one, not just about black people, but in general, Africans living abroad, whether you're from North Africa, South Africa, East, Central, etc. Whether you're living abroad, I mean, I think there's this this sort of myth that's been portrayed that um, if you're an African living abroad, that you're spoiled, you don't respect your parents, and you're generally less intelligent, you know, you're not serious about school, etc. Because, in quotes, you've escaped the parents' beatings. It's, I mean, I really don't understand where all of this comes from. Uh, and I think, yeah, everyone is entitled to their own experiences. Maybe you had that, that experience with one of your family members that you visited abroad, or a friend, but we really need to look deeper into these things and realize how crazy they sound. I mean, there's no way that a whole group of people can act like this. Right, and then another one uh, from the diasporan side is that, in general, and I'm not saying all diasporan people believe this, but I've I've definitely heard some people voice these beliefs. I think obviously there's Africa is generally like ghetto or dirty, or uh, there's this whole idea that it's a threat if your parents say that they're gonna send you back to Africa, and I've seen so many of these memes where someone goes ahead and um, they, they basically go with their family to the African continent and they, they said that they're going to be there for a week. Then all of a sudden, that week turns into two. That's suspicious. Turns into three. That's weird. Then all of a sudden, they're left back home. And the funny thing about this is that, I mean, in, in most times, it's, yeah, it's obviously a meme, it's a joke and all that stuff. But most of the times, it feels like a lot of people portray it negatively. And I think we just need to all come together and, like, really, really dismantle these stereotypes. Because they are literally based in products of white supremacy in the media. That's literally what these stereotypes are based on. So, guys, watch out for those and dismantle the stereotypes. Definitely. Guys, the last one. Pillar number five is agitators. If you're an agitator, I'm so sorry, but you guys are actually the weakest link. And I say that in full, there's no, with all due respect, you're the weakest link. I am so embarrassed for my people today. I am so embarrassed for my people. With respect, actually without respect, <laughs> uh, legit, you guys are the ones that are causing the issues. But there's two kinds of agitators, the, the kinds of people that start the stuff and they use some of the previous pillars. Oh, you know, um, you know, all you African-Americans, you don't even care about your roots, you don't care about your culture, etc. They use a stereotype or, oh, you know what, you guys, you don't speak on African or African-American issues. Or they'll say something about how, you know, you sold your ancestors, in, I mean, your ancestors sold their own people in slavery. I mean, all this different stuff. And we've mentioned how they're fallacious, etc. And these are the, the tools of their argument. So what happens is now one side has finally fired the first shot. Then the other side now comes through. And y'all, some of y'all, like, 
you just need to think i think before you type because a lot of the times when when people do this they don't realize that they're just making the situation worse you can call someone out as an individual without attacking the whole group right so they did make a generalizing statement but you making a generalizing statement back only worsens the diaspora and war and before you know it there's a there's a hashtag trending on twitter or there's now everyone's duetting this this video on tiktok and the reason why i call you all the weakest link is because of this escalation and like both of you guys like there's people who escalate the violence and people who start in my eyes you guys are the same right but generally speaking, y'all, like, I, that's, that's one of the worst things that can happen is because they're actually the ones who are dividing us. And I think that, yeah, you can deal with individuals. You can say that this person does not represent us, guys. Uh, the people, um, obviously, let's say the person is West African and um, there's African-Americans who are talking. Uh, the uh, People from the African-American group can just be like, yeah, you know, this, is, this does not represent us. This is like one individual. And then the West Africans can also just recognize that. And I think that's one of the reasons why these wars start. But one positive that comes out of this, I think, is the fact that it actually teaches us about these problems and it encourages us to find solutions. That's the only positive that I see coming out of Diasporan Wars. But I think that generally we need to like we need to interrogate how we're managing these conflicts within our community because it's definitely not healthy. Yeah, so as we near the end of this podcast, I know it's a bit long, guys, just forgive me. But let's go through some solutions. Like how do we solve this diaspora war? Um, I mean, we're not saying that we're going to prevent diaspora wars like for all eternity, but how can we uh, mitigate the risks of a diaspora and war happening again or greater divisions happening again? The one, number one is obviously education, guys. Read the works of Native African authors, African-American authors, watch documentaries, talk to people on the ground from both sides. Um, the same thing for if there's British authors or European authors that have African backgrounds. Read the works and just talk to people that are there because they will be the ones to dispel these rumors, these myths, and you'll be able to actually form some thought of some sort of um, common ground, I think. And I think that it's actually natural because a lot of you will share the same roots. A lot of you might share a language. Uh, it's only natural, or even a culture, by the way. And I think that it's only not natural for people to actually... Uh, have these conversations and educate themselves through immediate relatives or even friends and um i think that just links to interaction if you're able to interact directly with the continent and actually come back that is such an amazing experience um or even if you're able to go to diasporan communities outside the continent that is such a good way to be able to interact with people and you'll be able to actually get a hands-on experience of what it's actually like on the other side of things and the last one Conflict management, guys, we've already talked about this. Call out individuals promoting this divide alone. Call out the individuals who are promoting it alone. Don't bring the whole group into it and just be mature, try and diffuse things and try and educate people as much as you can. Obviously, if people are being ignorant, then, I mean, that's their own uh, beef. And yeah, the rest is history, guys. I think this has been a good podcast. I really enjoyed talking about this stuff. Hope you guys were able to take something out of it. I love you guys. And I will see you on next Tim Buck Tuesday.